Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are on Proper 12 in Year C. Just a reminder of our series theme, our series that we began last week. It is the second series of this Pentecost season in Year C. Focused is the series theme. In this section of Luke's Gospel, we remember that Jesus has resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he is focused, focused on going to the cross defeating sin and death, returning to his father, but really he's focused on us, on giving us new life through the work that he will accomplish. Well, as we follow our Savior on his journey to the cross, we find the Spirit giving us renewed focus. We see things more clearly. Each week, as we hear Christ's words to us, we gain focus for our lives of faith. So today we're thinking about the reading for the Sunday that falls on or between July 24th and July 30th, and we are in year C. That means we're working with proper 12 in that year. The theme tying the readings together this week is focused prayer. Focused prayer claims what God wants for us, not what we want from him. Quick introductions. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. With me today and throughout this focused series is Pastor Nathan Nass. He serves Christ the King Lutheran Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Also with us today, Pastor Don Duberstein. He is the director of the Wells Commission on Discipleship. And Professor Bill Tackmeyer, who teaches Old Testament and homiletics here at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Well, Nathan Nath, let's uh, start with you. The proper 12 readings speak about prayer. Can you share some thoughts about the focused theme for today that ties those readings together? Sure. Great to join you all today again. Uh, this, is, this is the third week in the focus series. Uh, the first week we talked about focused on, on love for our neighbor with the story of the Good Samaritan. Last week, uh, we talked about focused on God's word. We heard about Mary and Martha. After two sermons on the, the Gospel of Luke, today the suggested sermon text is from Genesis, the Old Testament lesson from Genesis chapter 18. And as we think about prayer, we hear the story of Abraham and his prayer back and forth with God for the city of, of Sodom. As we, we talk about this, this lesson, um, we're, we're focused on prayer in a couple of different ways. First, it, it focuses us on why we're able to pray, and it's by God's grace um, through the relationship he's created with us through Jesus. And then we're also focused as we pray on, on spiritual things and on God's will and not on our will. And so looking forward to discussing this text some more with, with the rest of you. Great. And thank you for correcting me uh, there, Nathan. This is our third week in the series, not the second week. I was, I had forgotten that uh, introductory week. Um, uh, I don't think I was with you on the podcast that week. So I uh, I missed it. Um, but right, third week of the focus series, focusing in on prayer. Um, Don Duberstein, could we go to you next? Could you give us a quick synopsis of the scripture readings appointed for today? We are going to be focusing as our sermon text on the first reading. So if you could especially mention the uh, the second reading in the gospel, that would be great. Sure. If if uh, good to be here with you. If um, we were going to go to that second scripture that's uh, uh, appointed, that would be First uh, Timothy chapter two verses one through seven, um, where the uh, focus is is kind of there. There are two separate focuses. So where the apostle Paul 
um, speaking to uh, uh, Timothy, uh, he first focuses in the first three verses um, uh, who to pray for. And, uh, and, and then he says, well, pray, pray for uh, your, your state, those who are in authority. And for the outcome being, um, then you'll have peaceful and quiet uh, lives. It's also interesting that Paul focuses on, he gives a little le lesson on different prayer types. He talks about requests, uh, intercessions, which, um, you know, when you're pleading on behalf of someone, which is exactly what Abraham did um, in uh, Genesis 18, which serves a, is, as a recommended sermon text. But then he also talks about um, prayers in the form of thanksgiving. Um, uh, oftentimes, that could be the missing part in our prayers. We so busy telling God about our trials and troubles, we forget to attach a little thank you note uh, for all of his gifts and, and blessings. But then in the second part, um, then the Apostle Paul in that second reading focuses on uh, who we pray through, and that is our spokesman. And um, that really helps as far as with the focus part of this worship theme, we're focusing on, on uh, what is the basis of our prayer is the fact that my ability, my right to be able to even approach God is because I already have a mediator. That's verse five. And, and he is my ransom. That's verse uh, six. Uh, even though we're objects of God's wrath, like uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, yet my ability to approach God is, is because every time I pray, I'm still wearing a robe of righteousness that was given, to, given uh, by him. That kind of is, is the focus, the basis of our prayers. We can have confidence because uh, we have a mediator called Jesus Christ. In the gospel lesson, that's going to be familiar from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I, I love where Jesus' disciples uh, come up to him and, and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus launches into uh, what we're so familiar with, with words of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and who better to go to than Jesus? You know, he, he's the one who <laughs> holds a PhD in prayer. Oftentimes we're the amateur hour on it. But then after Jesus talks about how to pray, the pattern for prayer with his petitions, then Jesus talks about being bold in prayer. Um, and he gives the example of someone on a journey comes and asks you for food in the middle of the night. Um, so be bold. But then Jesus concludes example of, of persistence in prayer in which he asks, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? So if my kid asks for a glass of milk, I'm not going to give him a glass of uh, gasoline. So if we figure it out and we genuinely care for our children's needs, then how much more the Heavenly Father uh, who meets all of our needs in Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the background of the two complementary lessons um, uh, for this Sunday uh, before we get into Genesis 18. Yeah, thank you for that, Don. Uh, just beautifully set up by Jesus, uh, exemplified by Paul, and, and Paul focuses again on our Savior as mediator and then how that opens up a world of prayer for us, thanksgiving, petition, intercession. Um, all with the grace of God as a backdrop, our loving Father who knows what we need and who loves us uh, coming to him in prayer. Well, with that then, let's turn to uh, Bill Tackmeyer. Um, Bill, we are recommending for this uh, series, Genesis 18, 20 to 32, as a sermon text this week. 
Can you get our discussion started about uh, the Hebrew of the text or other important considerations that are there? Um, what are some things you'd like to highlight? Sure. Hi, everybody. There are so many things in this text that it's hard to pick where to start. But I think the place I'd like to start is just all the personal touches in the text. Uh, from the very beginning, verse 20, uh, the Lord's saying, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down, uh, that the Lord comes in human form uh, to Abraham in this chapter, and that he is showing this personal interest in what's going on in Sodom, and he wants to stop what's going on. Uh, there's going to be a lot said in this podcast about the Lord's justice, and uh, uh, I, I want to note that from the very beginning, it's because people are suffering because of this sin that's going on in Sodom. The Lord is taking personal interest. He's coming down um, to take care of it. Um, I will go down. Uh, I, I, I'm going to see for myself. There's so many uh, beautiful anthropomorphisms in this text, uh, too, in the way that the Lord speaks about this. And then that Abraham, it said, is standing right before the Lord. The Hebrew is really interesting on that. Uh, to the face of the Lord, Abraham is standing. And that he gets to carry on this conversation with the Lord in which he understands why the Lord has this sense of justice. And yet that he is going to personally intercede uh, for those who are righteous in the city uh, and plead with the Lord uh, to, uh, to, to spare the city if there are all of these different numbers of righteous people that he's going to talk about in the in this prayer. Great. Yeah, Don, Nathan, any thoughts uh, regarding that? Bill has pointed out, uh, just to get us started with the many things in this text, the personal nature of the interaction between the Lord and Abraham, and of course, Abraham and Sarah, as we get into the background of, of this, um, uh, this account a little bit too. Um, anything there you would like to mention or to highlight, uh, Nathan? I can put Bill on the spot a little bit. You mentioned this personal nature, God coming to us. I noticed there's a footnote, at least in my NIV Bible, on verse 22. And as I looked into it, um, there's some who suggest that the original Hebrew actually says that the Lord remained standing before Abraham. And that that was perhaps removed by scribal traditions because the scribes didn't like the idea that God himself was standing there with Abraham. Um, but either way, however it is, Abraham standing before the Lord or the Lord standing before Abraham, like you said, it certainly is this, this personal connection between God and his friend that is cool for us to think about. I don't know if you had any more to say about the perhaps variant or how that should be translated. Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out, Nathan. Uh, I'm looking in the apparatus of, the he of my Hebrew Bible. Um, and I see that uh, it does look like it's uh, Hebrew scribes who are uncomfortable with that idea. But I'm also noticing in there, there's no manuscript uh, support for that. So uh, doesn't that make it even more striking that the Lord, you know, comes down, that he appears to Abraham 
in human form and lets Abraham uh, stand before him. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that out. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Um, yeah, emphasizing the, yeah, the remarkable personal nature and the grace of God, right? That, that he would allow this interaction to take place in this way, right? Um, yeah, this, the, Bill, you emphasize the, the personal, uh, personal uh, character of, of this interaction. Um, and that really is the spirit that is in Luke 11 too, isn't it? Uh, Jesus encouraging us to pray not simply throwing our, our wishes up into the air, but speaking to a personal God, a personal father who knows what we need and who has a heart of love uh, that cares for us. And that's the, the interaction takes place on that basis, right? Or yeah, Second Timoth or First Timothy 2, Christ the mediator, the man Christ Jesus, again, personal connection in that regard as well, Bill? Uh, some other really neat things that come out uh, when you study this text in the Hebrew is the cry that has come to me against Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just like Abel's blood crying out to the Lord in Genesis chapter 4, right? And then you also get the same touch as you have in the account of the Tower of Babel, where the Lord says, I will go down, you know, and see what these people are doing. Are they... Are they really defying my will uh, the way, uh, and, and of course, God in his omniscience does know this, uh, but he, he wants to show us that he takes this stuff seriously, that when one of his people is suffering because of human sin, uh, because of the outrageous things that human beings do to one another, uh, God has a personal stake in that, and he's going to see that justice is brought about so that this suffering will come to an end. Great, yeah. Um, thoughts in response to in response to that, or uh, if not, that Bill, maybe if you would like to just keep going and, and hit some other points in the text here, other notable things. Oh, I, let me add one thing. Uh, I thought of you talk about anthropomorphisms in this text. I remember, um, I think it was probably Professor Deutschlander saying this, and maybe the thought did not originate with him, but uh, he pointed out that when you find an anthropomorphism in a text, God is coming down to see, uh, for instance, um, that it's usually an indicator that something big is about to happen, either an act of justice or mercy, uh, or sometimes both. Um, uh, so anthropomorph anthropomorphism is kind of a precursor to God taking action in some uh, dramatic way. And we see it, certainly ex an example of that here too. Yep. Uh, but Bill, if you'd like to, to go on, highlight some other things in the text uh, that are noteworthy for preachers. Well, uh, uh, beautiful things that are in, uh, that come out so nicely in the Hebrew is uh, uh, Abraham's sense of awe and humility before the Lord. Uh, for instance, uh, at the end of verse 27, where he says, though I am dust and ashes. Uh, the Hebrew of that, th those two words are uh, sound very similar in Hebrew. Afar va'efer. Um, and afar, of course, is dust. We're reminded that man was formed from the dust of the ground. It's the very vocable that was used back in Genesis 2 with the creation of man. 
And then the second one, Efer, ashes, uh, is used more in the sense of what's left of our body after we die. I think it comes up in Job, you know, in that famous uh, passage about dust to dust, uh, ashes to ashes. And that Abraham is recognizing from beginning to end, you know, I, I am just dust that the maker has formed. And uh, my, my destiny, as far as my physical life is concerned, is going to be death because of the sin that has come into the world. So who am I to approach a God who is the judge of all uh, people that, that he also brings up? Um, so there are some, there's some beautiful touches that show Abraham understands that when God comes in justice, uh, he has, he has every right, um, to be, to be angry with the sinner. Uh, there's several times where he uses the verb for burn, um, uh, let not your anger burn against me, Lord, now that I've been so bold, um, as to make this re these requests to you and keep changing uh, the number that that uh, that I'm calling you uh, to rescue. Great, yeah. Since you've uh, brought that up, uh, Bill, could we talk a little bit about uh, the malady in this text, or how we address um, uh, address that, or what what might be a good way to communicate that? Um, uh, and maybe Nathan, if if you could just comment on you know, you had some thoughts on uh, not so much just only Abraham saying, I, though I am dust and ashes, but also the bigger picture here, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, would you be willing to, to comment on that in relation to the malady? Sure. I know when I sat down with this text for the first time, uh, like I often do, I, I thought, my well, this is going to be easy. We're talking about prayer and Abraham prays so well. And the malady is I don't pray quite like Abraham prays. And that would be the malady. But as I say in this text, I, I think that there's a much deeper malady. Um, the malady isn't just, well, we don't pray quite like Abraham does. The malady is that you see so clearly what, what sin deserves. So that verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. And I'll go down and see if it's as bad as what I've heard. Sin is really bad. And so then you ask, well, what, what was that sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? And this is the only time in the lectionary that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah comes up. And I think our people really need to know what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's something that's repeated throughout the Old Testament. Jesus refers to it a number of times. Other than the flood, this is the greatest example of God's judgment for sin that we have recorded for us. So you ask, well, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, it's interesting to look up all the places it comes up in the Bible and clearly homosexuality was, was part of their sin. We see that in Genesis 19. We see that in Jude, verse 7, talking about perversion. Um, it's the end of July. We just went through another big pride month around our country. Um, is it a time that we need to say the sin of homosexuality is something that God takes very seriously? But then we can't stop there. Ezekiel chapter 16 says that the sin in, in Sodom was injustice and not caring for the poor. And those sins deserve fire from heaven too. I think ultimately we end up at the point where, where every sin, of course, every sin deserves God to go down and send fire down from heaven. And I know I have to admit, I don't always look at my sin that way. But 
any part of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, I think that's the malady for us. Sin is this bad. Sin deserves to have God go down from heaven and destroy us with, with fire and sulfur, just like he did the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's what you and me deserve, too. Great. Uh, Don? Don, did you have yeah, yeah. It's even, even the Hebrew uh, verbs that are used, like in verse twenty, when it talks about the outcry, and then it talks about about the 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 sin of Sodom, and it uses and the, the Hebrew word that's used there for sin is the chata, you know, the missing of the mark completely. But then, um, for other uh, times throughout there, um, uh, this text it, it uses that other word for sin, which is. Uh, uh, rasha, which is an unholiness, and it, 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 which is this beautiful, not beautiful. It's this horrible contrast between the fact that unholiness, in comparison with a holy God, and as Nietzsche says, you, you, you understand the full weight of it's. It's just the most awful feeling uh, to know uh, our wickedness, our transgressions, our iniquity all of that put together why should god be merciful to us when he has every right to judge us right right yeah the the just the stark uh reality that the hebrew communicates there um comes through clearly um bill oh uh yeah can we get your audio bill i think there we go um to reinforce with uh, what uh, both Don and Nathan have said recently, uh, that in verses like, uh, where was it? I just had it here. Verse 28, uh, the verb is shachat, uh, a verb for destroy that's often used in the flood account. And at first, uh, uh, Abraham doesn't use that term. He uses uh, a term that means to sweep away, but you almost get the idea of the floodwaters coming. Uh, but then he starts using shachat, and the Lord also uh, uses shachat, which is the verb that is often used in the flood account for how God uh, destroyed the world at that time. Uh, he's going to do the same thing uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them completely. Right, yeah, thanks for those connections there to uh, these yeah, remarkable instances of God's judgment. Uh, Nathan? Oh, just one more verse that I found as I was looking up Sodom throughout the rest of the Bible. There's a powerful verse in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9. Um, it's talking about the people of Jerusalem and Judah. It says, the look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, they brought disaster upon themselves. And there's just this, this ominous warning. Um, societies, people who, who proudly parade their sin around, um, justice is going to come. And I don't always read commentaries by Martin Luther, but you know he wrote a commentary on Genesis that's, that's very thorough. On, he has a, a lot of words to say about the Sodom and Gomorrah account. And it's one of the places where he teaches most clearly the importance of law and gospel preaching, that people need to hear the law. People in society need to hear the law. My sinful nature needs to hear the law. And that's what makes the gospel and God's mercy in this account shine out that much clearer. Great. Yeah, so we've heard some thoughts about the malady um, in terms of, uh, yeah, valuable uh, reminder of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
um, which is something, you know, Bill and I, we talked to our students about here, we can never take for granted, and you, you guys uh, in, in the parish know this too very well, you can't take for granted that any listener is familiar with an Old Testament account, especially. Um, so it's, it's a good opportunity to maybe even in short form to remind people of here's the setting, right? The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Nathan, you mentioned the sin of homosexuality, maybe an opportunity to note that, um, and the sin of, of society in general, the outcry, uh, and then also making it personal too. Um, as far as a personal connection, what came to my mind was um, the small catechism, Luther on the fifth petition also, where uh, forgive us our sins, but Luther mentions our sins in connection with prayer. Um, if you remember that section, um, we pray that our Father in heaven would not regard our sins nor deny our petitions uh, because of them, um, because we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. But we are saying, Lord, um, in your mercy, um, that's what we're appealing to, your, your boundless grace. Listen to our prayers. Um, for us and for others. Um, yeah, so beautiful, uh, stark law, uh, and also amazingly comforting gospel too, in the context uh, of this, this section. Um, speaking of which, how, uh, how do you emphasize the gospel or what uh, aspects of the gospel do you bring out in this text? Or how would you do that? Any suggestions for preachers? We've mentioned a couple already or been getting into them in regard to the mercy of God, but anything further on bringing out the gospel, Nathan? I noticed how often the word righteous shows up, especially in verses 23 and following. This idea, there's righteous people, God, you're not going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And I think it's an opportunity for us to, to remind our people what it means to be righteous. And you go to that verse about Abraham, Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham deserved to be swept away with the rest of those people, but he believed God's promise of a Savior. And through that Savior, he was declared righteous in God's sight. And even, you know, we're thinking the, the righteous people in Sodom, and of course, we think of Lot. And what we hear about Lot is he was not a very righteous person by what he did. And if you read the next chapter, you'll see that clearly and how he treats his daughters and what his daughters do with him. And, but we're righteous by God's grace through that declaration that God makes based on faith in Jesus. And that's why we can approach God with confidence because we're declared righteous by grace. Yeah, excellent. excellent. Yeah, further thoughts on the gospel in this text? Don, I'll go to you first. Yeah, that, that verse 25, just to pick up on what Nate said, verse 25, when Abraham says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the, the Hebrew word, the, uh, Shafat, you know, the one who judges, right, Mishpat. And of, of course, Abraham knew that uh, God is just. The God who demands rightness, um, God gives rightness. And just those two Hebrew words help uh, juxtaposition that together, I thought, beautifully. Right, right. Uh, Bill? Um, a couple of things, too. Uh, just the little phrase, for the sake of, or at least that's the way that the NIV translates uh, there. Um, you know, it doesn't point directly to Christ, 
but it has this idea of uh, for the sake of a few, Abraham is saying, you know, spare the city. And that can become a segue then uh, for preaching gospel in the, in the sermon itself. Uh, but maybe uh, one of the best ways that you can point to gospel with this text is by going uh, outside, looking at it in its preceding context, where God has come to Abraham and Sarah to announce that the, um, that the promised uh, seed is going to come soon, that the child of promise. Um, in, in this particular case, God is telling them that Isaac is going to be born soon. Uh, and it's going to be through him that the promise uh, of Abraham uh, will be handed down. Um, it, you kind of have to go back to the beginning of the whole Abraham narrative, you know, um, in you, all the, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And uh, that promise is repeated just a couple of verses before our text, where God points out how uh, in Abraham, all the, the, people of the earth will be blessed. That's a repetition of that promise. But then, of course, after this chapter, in chapter 22, the third time that the promise is stated, uh, then it's, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed uh, in chapter 22. So um, that, that's where uh, Christ is explicitly um, uh, proclaimed in the Abraham narrative. And so it's it's good for the preacher uh, to point that out, that Abraham was looking forward to the coming Savior uh, through whom or for the sake of whom, uh, as, as our text has it worded, for the sake of whom uh, all of us are righteous in God's sight, as Nathan brought out earlier with that word righteous. Right, right. Yeah, so the big, big picture is, yeah, the, the, the promise of a Savior who enables us to go to the Lord, uh, stand face to face with him, um, uh, and enables our prayers, right? Um, further thoughts on uh, Law Gospel, or we can get into illustrations, applications too, of course, Nathan? Yeah, I appreciate how Bill's got us to, to Jesus through that, that seed of Abraham would be the Savior of the world. It makes me think of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, you have this description of why we're able to approach God, and it's all because of Jesus. And I've got written down Hebrews 4, verse 16, that because of what Jesus has done, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so it's because of Jesus and his sacrifice, his life and death and resurrection. Now, just like Abraham, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that God's going to treat us with mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yes. gospel, right? We are righteous in God's sight. We are confident of his mercy when we pray um, all through Jesus. Um, yeah, kind of the, the, the beating heart uh, that is there enlivening our prayers. Um, other thoughts as uh, you might give preachers some suggestions or uh, other things to get their, their mental gears turning, Don? Oh, Don, can we activate your audio? Uh, just check that. There Sorry about that. Um, I, I, I love the focus, the target audience of uh, Abraham's uh, uh, prayer. Um, it, 
and just the illustration for me that popped into my head was frankly my mother-in-law who goes to rummage sales and she never accepts the price on on whatever's on the sticker she'll always go to the item owner and ask hey would you take uh, 50 cents for this and, um, or how about 45 cents how about 30 cents you know it's just this uh, it, you think of a Mideastern haggling at a at an open market that God would invite Abraham in in uh, into this kind of a, a back and forth. It just um, uh, ma- makes me think: How can we in, in encourage our people, especially with who the focus of this prayer was? It's Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblically famous city, for all the wrong reasons. And Abraham's intercession isn't for his family. Isn't the fact that. Uh, dear God, uh, I hope Sarah's pregnancy goes well for the next nine months. He didn't even mention Lot and his family. The fact that his intercessory prayer is, is for a wicked, uh, uh, for a wicked world. Uh, it just reminds me of, of, of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, I, I pray, don't take them out of this world, but sanctify them by, uh, uh, by the word, because this is the reason that I put them into the world. Um, to be salt and be light, because I still have sheep out there in Sodom and Gomorrah that I want to gather in. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Praying for others. That's a great thought, too. Um, yeah, I see kind of uh, in this account uh, the, the paradox uh, of prayer. Do we pray humbly or do we pray confidently? Well, both. Right. I mean, as Abraham says, though, I'm but dust and ashes. Um and though it, this is in the context of the Lord about to rain down uh, fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Abraham prays and then prays again and then prays again and then prays again. Uh, the boldness and persistence combined with the humility. Um, yeah, that, that's what, one of the things that fascinates me about this text too. Nathan? When you talk about the persistence, it reminds me of, of little children talking to their parents. And of course, Jesus uses that example for prayer, but you think of that little child, mom, 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 mom. And how many times does it take before that, even that loving mother gets pretty frustrated and here, Abraham, it's six times he goes to God and God doesn't even tell him to stop. I wonder if Abraham would have gone down to five or even lower, would God have, he would have just kept listening. And so we can pray even more persistently than little children ask things of their parents. The other illustration I think is important is, Sometimes when people hear a lesson like this, we think, well, if I just pray that I'm going to get it, right? And there's even the prosperity gospel talks about if you can name it, you can claim it. If you just ask God for it and you believe hard enough, you're going to have it. Maybe good to, to tell our people, Abraham didn't actually get what he prayed for. Even though he went to God six times with such persistence and God still destroyed the cities. There weren't 10 people there. But what God did was better than what Abraham was expecting. He carried out perfect justice, and he still saved the, the three people whom he happened to find in the city. And so to tell our people, you can pray boldly and confidently and persistently, and God might not do what you're asking, but he's going to do something better, because that's what our God does, something that's in accordance with his will for us. Great. Great. Uh, Bill? Uh, and I think it's good to encourage our people it doesn't, uh, even if you don't know what to pray for, or you keep changing your mind within prayer, uh, go ahead and do it. I was reminded of Romans eight twenty six as I was uh, preparing for this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. It's okay to pray uh, un uncertain, really, of what you're even asking and uh, uncertain of how God's going to fulfill uh, the request. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the, the boldness and confidence, right? Just go ahead and speak. And uh, we can do that where God delights in that, even uh, when we just open our hearts to him. Um, all right. Any uh, thoughts on maybe themes that you've got in mind or potential themes or uh, even, or maybe kind of a, a loose uh, structure that you've, it's kind of forming in your mind as you think about this text, any ideas or suggestions for preachers? Nathan? I just got three possible themes that you can do with what you want. One would be always pray and never give up. There's some words from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and it certainly encapsulates what Abraham did. Always pray and never give up. Um, in verse 32 of the text, you have Abraham say, let me speak just once more. Maybe those three words, just once more, could be a sermon theme about prayer. Just once more, with the understanding, of course, that there's always once more. There's no end to it, but just once more. I'm going to go to my father and pray. And I mentioned before that, that verse from Hebrews chapter 4, approaching the throne of grace with confidence. And maybe that could be your theme. Approach the throne of grace with confidence, um, like Abraham did, because of Jesus. Yeah. Good suggestion. Um, anything else uh, or other closing thoughts? Uh, Bill, go ahead. Um, I kind of toyed with uh, the whole thing of crying to the Lord for mercy. And um, I, I finally settled on one that I, I would put out there as a suggestion. No cry for mercy goes unheard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly Abraham is appealing to the mercy of the Lord here. Uh, and the Lord hears him again and again and again. Um, and so too with our cries. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for a great discussion today, uh, Bill, Don, Nathan. I appreciate all your thoughts. Um, hopefully, now that preachers have done a tech study and, and listened to the podcast, they've got some good food for thought as they move forward with preaching on this beautiful text. Um, the persistence that Abraham displays um, because of the mercy of the Lord, who is standing right there face to face with him in his grace. Uh, we have the same Lord and the same invitation to pray. So God bless you as you proclaim the word and this powerful gift of prayer through our mediator, Jesus.